0: You are listening to Sheep Night Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Robbins. I'm very sorry I didn't get last week's episode out. It was one of those weeks. I seem to be having a few of those lately. Um, I'm actually speaking to you from the third day of the Tasmanian, of Southern Tasmanian lockdown, uh, which we are very much hoping is just, will only need to be these three days. Uh, it was a spot last minute announcement on uh, on Friday and people kind of went into a shock, but it's been kind of nice to see how well everybody's been coping with it and accepting it and, yeah, trying to keep keep our state as healthy as possible for as long as we can. Anyway, so that's what's happening here. Uh, I hope very much that next week I will not come back to you After an even longer one, but you never know. Alright, our current serial is Musketeer Space. Chapter 21 Crashing and Burning They were falling. Of all the things you could possibly do with a spaceship, falling had to be one of the worst. Dana could not move. Her brain was swallowed up by the parry repost, and he was damaged in so many places. Dana's thoughts were consumed by it. The cracking of the hull, the spark of broken wires, the painful burn of the defence shield as the last precious layer peeled away from the hull. This was not good. She could not find Athos. Had he already lost consciousness? If she reached out a hand or opened her eyes, then she would see him beside her, but she wasn't willing to lose her cerebral connection to the Paris-Riposte to confirm what she already knew. He was there, but he wasn't here. There was no cheerful song of flight and joy coming from the Paris-Riposte. Even the ship himself was frozen in fear. Dana reached out with her thoughts remembering the first time she'd ever piloted a ship in space on her own, not piggybacking on the flight controls of her mother. She was fourteen, and invincible. From that moment on, she'd never wanted anything but flying spaceships. The memory buoyed her, kept her upright, while she reached deeper into the ship, searching for his power spheres, his thrusters anything to stop this horrible, stomach-churning descent. Her memory of first flight collided with another, a memory of hands on the helm and a screen full of stars, and a first ship, a ship she'd never flown before, patient and loving under her hands. It wasn't her memory. Athos, she breathed, and pressed in deeper. His memory was so close to hers. First flight, the sickening joy of it, the knowledge that nothing else in life would ever be quite this good or simple or right. In the real world, on the flight deck of the Paris Rapost, she felt Athos's boot nudge against hers. Footwork, Dana thought, wanting to laugh hysterically. That was what they needed, after all. A routine to perform in unison until they became properly aligned. But there wasn't time for that because they were falling out of the sky. She pushed her memory fiercely against his, smashing them together. Her thoughts fractured at the pressure, one memory bleeding into another. Other data filled her head shattered images of space and ship and thrust and metal. Memories broke into pieces and reconnected. She couldn't tell where she ended and Athos began. Bare feet walking across polished floorboards. She was stupidly in love with those feet. Who did they belong to? They reached out together, Dana and Athos, as a unit. Holding together, they drew the ship upwards, out of its sheer drop, up and up, through the blueness and into the comfort of grey. Cloud cover again? she asked inside their heads, not wanting to unsettle the balance by speaking aloud in the real world. We're over the ocean, he sent back. Could put her down here, but it won't help your mission. Need to head for Castellian. Get as close to Buckingham as possible before we... Land? Crash. Such an optimist. The cloud should affect their instruments. And ours. I can't see a damn thing. The pursuit ships. We haven't lost them yet. They flew straight and even. A perfect motion of speed and grace. Everything was going to be alright if they could fly like this for long enough. Dana opened her eyes. The parry-riposte settled calmly in the back of her head, as if this was normal. She finally felt stable enough to check for herself, via the physical screen. Athos's eyes were open as well. He had a savage grin across his face, and blood running from his nose. Catch me if you can, he said aloud. They darted from cloud to cloud, surfing the sky with occasional bursts of speed followed by long, slow glides that used almost no power at all. Here, Athos breathed, like this. A stab of pain roiled through him, and the ship fell from his grasp. Dana caught it, taking the lead, skimming the ship along the inner edge of the cloud. Navigation! That was what she was here for. Being his double meant more than steering the ship. Still with me, she murmured. She felt a warm glow inside her head, like a handshake or a formal salute, before the fencing began. They didn't speak after that, but took turns handing the ship back and forth between them, taking point and then falling back. It was like a game. If she pretended she wasn't aware he was badly hurt, they were going to have to do something about that. Tell you, Athos. Nexus was for emergency situations and for early training, not for everyday use. Dana hated to think what kind of damage it had done to him. Did they have enough medipatches on board to deal with this? What medic training did Grimaud have? Or would it be down to Dana? Assuming they were all still breathing when they hit the ground. Crash, not land. They didn't feel like they were crashing now, but Dana had a suspicion that the parry riposte was concealing the worst of his damage, (laughs) like ship, like pilot. There's Castellian, Athos said to her. And Dana felt a burn of complex emotions attached to that simple word, the name of a continent. They weren't her emotions. Athos was the one who had baggage when it came to this planet. For one horrible moment, Dana was tempted to poke into his mind and see what came spilling out. He'd know. She should be ashamed of herself. But she only held back because she didn't want to get caught. What's the plan, she sent to him, for when we crash? Land, Athos corrected, as if he'd never put the idea in her head about crashing. Have faith. Always She took control off him and sped ahead, refusing to toss it back to him. Have a nap, old man. Put your feet up. Athos's mind melted around hers, blurring them together, so his hands and hers worked together, in perfect sync. None of that, pup. I'm not dead yet. Dana was overwhelmed by a vision of green grass. She smelled lemons and rain, blinked the grass away, only to be caught by the sight of crisp white sheets in a bright bedroom. She saw the curve of a perfect shoulder blade, a mess of hair that looked silver in the sunlight. She could not see the man's face, but his presence made her warm or over. A hundred and one reasons to hate this planet said Athos, in the real world. Dana shook her head, blinking. That seemed like a good memory. Not from this angle. She threw him a memory of her own, of the miserable months she'd spent on freedom, fixing comms equipment for the miners, to raise credits for her final flying accreditations. Even the rain was grey on freedom, grey and opaque like the minerals they dug out of the planet and the skin of the miners who had worked the surface for too long. Athos shook his head and smiled. I'm not playing memory chicken with you. So I win. There was a snap inside Dana's head, hard and sharp. The parry riposte fell from her control and Athos did not reach out to catch him. What the hell? That was our second last power sphere, Athos told her. Damn! Going down, D'Artagnan. Any last words? Tell Aramis you were right. I hate Sancofoil. Athos laughed at that. A loud shout of a sound in the silent flight deck, almost buried beneath the terrifying sound of the ship's vitals disintegrating around them. Down they went. Dana's first thought as she awoke was empty. They'd lost the final power sphere sometime before the emergency landing, which was as close to a crash as made no odds. The parry riposte was silent in her head, and when she reached out to tug the ship back inside herself, her senses thrumming thanks to the nexus in her bloodstream, she felt nothing from him. Alone. She forced herself outside her own head to take stock of her physical state. The harness and the chair had protected her from the worst of the damage, though she was stuck in a coffin of twisted metal. The roof of a spaceship should not look like a sagging canopy. Dana released herself from the harness and helm, shaking her scalp free of the connections. Thank goodness Athos had let Aramis cut his hair before getting into a crash like this, or he'd have been... She couldn't see Athos. She couldn't see most of the ship. As his hull had buckled around her, her feet were jammed up against the remains of the console, which was crumpled into an ugly shape. Athos should be there, but all she could see was the very edge of his seat and a sharp-edged wall of metal that had separated them. Dana's feet were wet, more than wet. Water sloshed through the ruined ship, up to her ankles. Missed the continent, she groaned. Oh, that's embarrassing. Such a big target. For a moment, she thought one foot was trapped, but it was only her boot, caught on a ragged edge of metal. Dana pulled it free, glad she didn't have to remove the boot, and then paused for a split second to run her fingers inside and check that the stud was still burrowed into her ankle. It would be disastrous to lose it after all this. The parry riposte creaked around her as Dana slid out of her seat and crawled under another piece of wreckage. The water levels dipped higher, "'wetting one of her legs up to the knee. "'Sinking was bad. "'Sinking a spaceship was up there with falling and crashing. "'At least nothing had exploded yet. "'Dana made her way through the damaged dart. "'She found the main hatch, but it had crumpled inwards "'and would not respond to her touch. "'Further on, she found the slashed remains of Grimaud's seat.' The parry repost lurched under her, flinging her into a hip-deep pocket of water. What did she have to work with here? No arc-ray. A pearl stunner was only good for use against people, not metal. Her fingers went to the baton that hung on her hip. So there was that. This situation was exactly what the slice was for. But something about the feel of the hilt against her fingers made Dana check Grimaud's jump seat again. Those slashes were too even to be accidental. Someone had already been here, with a pilot's slice. There was a tilt on the ship. The further back Dana went, the deeper the water got. That was promising. He wasn't filling up completely, which suggested the water wasn't as deep as she had suspected. And maybe, yes, there. Dana saw a twisted bunk, the soft silver mattress pulled aside, and beyond it a gouged shape in the wall, mostly submerged in water. she had located where the water was getting in at least, the escape route Athos had left for her. Dana took a deep breath and plunged forward, through the smooth lines of sliced metal and into the water. She swam down into darkness and then up to the fluttering pattern of light she could see on the surface. Up and out, gasping in air that tasted like planet. They'd landed in a freshwater lake. It took her a few strokes to reach the edge and haul herself out into a day that was strangely warm, considering how much cloud they'd flown through to get here. The sky, was blue, an intense shade that Dana had never quite seen before, not on freedom or truth, the only planet she'd visited. Tufts of clouds swam through the sky above them, some white and some grey. The grass was so green it hurt the eyes. They were surrounded by picturesque scenery, mountains and trees like something out of a children's fairy book. Dana didn't have time to gaze at the pretty. Athos was there on the grass, only a few metres from the edge of the lake and their part submerged ship, leaning over the body of Grimaud. He was soaked to the skin, one hand tangled in Grimaud's wet star scarf as he applied the Medipatch to her neck. Dana approached him letting her hand brush his arm only slightly to let him know she was there. I was coming back for you, he said in a low voice. Didn't need you. She glanced back at the ship. He'd made the right call. The wreckage was floating in the water and it only shifted at all once Dana started moving. How's she doing? Breathing. Stable. She has a gash in her arm, but didn't lose too much blood. Athos pushed away from Grimaud and buried his face in his hands. That would be the shock catching up with him. Any landing you can walk away from don't even there was despair in his voice. Dana gave him a swift hug from behind, her arms wrapping around his shoulders for a moment before she released him. Breathe, we're down. We're in one piece. All of us. It was more than she'd expected during their descent. And a brilliant story to tell Aramis and Porthos when we catch up with them, Athos said, his voice sounding far away. That too. Dana didn't want to think about Aramis and Porthos. A light spray of water spattered across the back of her skin. She stared at the droplets for a moment. The heat of the day had given way to cooler breeze, and the clouds had more gray than white in them. There were more of them. Dana watched, fascinated, as blue bleached out of the sky. Now it's raining, said Athos, sounding sullen about it. I've been on this planet for five minutes, and it's raining on me. Rain? Dana had felt it in virtual simulations, but never in real life. The air had a breathless feel about it, as if the world was about to fly apart into pieces of water. It was lovely. Dana wanted to laugh at Athos, at the scenery around them, at the delicious realisation that they were alive when they should have died in a crash like that, surely. Did you and this planet have a bad breakup with each other? Is counseling required? I hate this sodding planet, he growled. I hate being rained on. I hate. Are you dancing right now? Maybe a little, Dana said, spinning around on the spot with her fingers and arms flung wide. I want to see if I can move faster than the raindrops. D'Artagnan, Athos said, keeping his voice even. You are enjoying this planet far too much. Should I leave you two alone together? Jealous that I'm getting on so well with your ex? Dana threw herself to the ground. The grass still felt warm from the sunshine that had disappeared behind the grey clouds. I've never liked a planet before. This is new. It won't last, Athos warned. But there was less resentment in his voice now. Rain might be a novelty now, but... Wait until it's been going for seven days and you can't go out, can't walk or ride anywhere. Ride? Dana lifted an eyebrow. Are we talking about live animals? What kind of fucked up new aristocrat hijinks did you and this planet get up to together? I refuse to answer that question on the grounds that... Shut up. Athos turned back to Grimaud as she sucked in a sudden, sounding awake breath of oxygen. Engie? Still alive? Shakily, Grimaud raised one hand and gave him the finger. Thank God for that, Athos said, reclaiming some of his usual poise and snark. Getting my revenge on this entire planet would have been time consuming. Grimaud was going to need rest, and she couldn't be left alone. Athos refused to admit he needed medical attention himself. When Dana finally slapped a diagnostic medipatch on him, it took a full fifteen minutes to list all of the recommended treatments. Dana wanted to stay with them while they mended, but there was the mission. The platinum stud was all but burning a hole through her ankle. It's not even a choice, Athos insisted. You need to get to Buckingham and get that bloody stud off your ankle. If you manage to collect the item you came for, you're heading straight back to Paris without collecting us first. That was the worst part. But if I... D'Artagnan! If the sabres catch up with Grimaud and me, we won't offer any resistance. Arrest is a shortcut home for us. If our clever... Ditching in the lake plan works and they don't find us. The two of us can make our way back by the slow path. Neither of us possess incriminating evidence. We'll be fine. Dana screwed up her face in frustration. She knew he was right. This was her mission. If you're not back in Paris before me, I'm coming to get you. All of you. Aramis and Porthos too. Seated beneath a temporary shelter he had rigged from the contents of the ship's emergency locker, with Grimaud lying on the grass beside him, Athos gave her a salute that was not entirely sarcastic. We would expect nothing less. Get the hell out of here, D'Artagnan. You're wasting time. And that was how, having already lost two musketeers, Dana finally abandoned the third. It felt like a terrible mistake, even before she was out of his sight. Dana was really starting to hate this mission. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates, follow me on Twitter at TansyRR or at Sheep Might Fly. Uh, find me on Facebook at Tansy RR Books, and if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of cool rewards, early eBooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. See you next week.